Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, Jesus the Original Heretic. So far in our first two sessions, we've seen in the scripture that God is not against the them, and that eternal life for them is actually available, believe it or not, and it's not based on belief but through works, according to Matthew 25 and John 5 and some other scriptures as well. Well, what kind of works? Offering the right sacrifices, reciting the sinner's prayer, saying enough our fathers, being fully immersed during baptism because, you know, a sprinkle just ain't going to cut it. No, 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 no. Works that are rooted in consideration of your own faults and extending empathetic actions toward others. Whatsoever things you would have done to you, do that to others. Specifically, forgive, and, you won't, and you'll be forgiven, right? Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Judge not, and you will not be judged, right? Extend mercy to obtain mercy, etc. We see all this, all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Remember, we saw that when Jesus was, was specifically asked how to obtain eternal life, He didn't tell them to say the sinner's prayer. He didn't tell them to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus died for their sin. That's not what Jesus told people. He told them to obey the commandments and that the commandments are summarized by loving your neighbor as yourself. So we have to ask ourselves, why are these concepts so resisted by traditional Christian doctrine? Well, I was thinking about that, and why don't we do this? Why don't we flip it for a minute? Let's just imagine that Jesus told people, I'm going to die for your sin, and if you believe that I'm the Messiah, and you confess that I'm the Son of God, then my blood will uh, cover your sin, and you'll have eternal life. You know, right? So when the expert in the law asked Jesus how to get get eternal life, this would have been the Jesus, uh, the answer that Jesus gave, okay? So, and then... You know, later on, after Jesus ascends, Paul comes along and he says, eh, I mean, I know what Jesus said, and I can see how that might fit with the Old Testament and the sacrificial, sacrificial requirements and everything, but, but I'm just really thinking the real way to eternal life is just to follow the commandments and do unto others what you would want them to do to you. That's really what God wants. We'd be like, uh, Paul, let me get my Keith Ranieri hair in order, right? He'd be like, we'd be like, uh, Paul, look, I know what you, I know you mean well and all, but the actual son of God said, it's not that at all. You have to believe and confess minimum, right? We would totally dismiss Paul or would we, right? We've been conditioned to relate to God only through the death of Jesus. And we skipped over his three years of ministry to humanity his earthly example, right? The, the example of God in the earth. If we always wanted to know what God was like, and he showed us what he's like. And if the sacrifice of Jesus was the only thing that could reconcile humanity with God, his purpose could have been fulfilled when Herod sought to kill him as a two-year-old. But as we saw last week, Zoroastrian priests were warned by God, the same angel of the Lord that came to visit Mary, right, to not see Herod after worshiping Jesus, whom they recognized as the Son of God. The life and ministry of Jesus 
has been subjected to a subsequent veiled understanding of the importance of his ministry prior to his death and resurrection. Jesus did not teach or preach grace through faith. Jesus preached, again, we saw this in the first session, that sinners were in a, quote-unquote sinners, right, were in a better position with God than the religious leaders because they recognized their own shortcomings and treated others with empathy because they, they knew they were really no better. And if Jesus preached grace at all, it was in the form of you and I extending grace to others so that we would be positioned to receive grace. Jesus taught that the religious leaders would be worse off than the people in Tyre and Sidon, right? Because they believed themselves to be righteous and pure, and this put them in a position to view them, right? Anyone not like us, anyone not in our group, we view them as inferior and not worthy of empathy or dignity. Jesus condemned their thinking because it stripped them of their imago Dei, their image and likeness of God. The practice of dehumanizing the them is what makes any individual, especially religious people, dissimilar to God. Let me repeat that. I think it's important. The practice of dehumanizing the them. What do I mean by dehumanizing the them? When we look at somebody else as not made in the image and likeness of God, we look at them as not human, right? Subhuman. Not the chosen us, right? Not, not worthy of being on God's team, right? When we dehumanize somebody, it's what makes any individual, especially religious people, dissimilar to God. And this is unacceptable in the eyes of God. But even this sin was not so great that Jesus didn't forgive them because they knew not what they were doing. Jesus said, if you believe what I'm teaching, it'll bring eternal life. The red letters say, if you ignore what he's teaching, it'll bring condemnation. And really, condemnation is the act of running to the chaos and the darkness, right? And hiding from the light. That's why somebody is condemned already. And if you study out John chapter 3, the condemnation says nothing about eternal punishment. You can literally throw a dart anywhere in the Gospels and hit a passage where Jesus was making the experts in Judaism so angry uh, that, that the only thing the different sects, right, not sects, sects, the different denominations of Judaism, the only thing they agreed on was to kill him. Think about that. I want you to think about that. Jesus unified religious factions in one way. They all wanted to kill God. Amazing. In fact, let's take a look uh, at an example of that. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 2 in our Bible. But before we do, I want to take a look at how we traditionally arrive at some of our foundational dogma. And uh, I was raised in a particular denomination that has a fundamental belief that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look briefly at how this became a fundamental doctrine or dogma. Let's turn, I'm going to hold my place here in Mark chapter 2. I'm already there. So if you want to turn to Mark, not if you're driving, again, don't violate wisdom, but Mark chapter 2, hold your place there, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. 
And now we're kind of getting to the crunch of things, right? We got the mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire rested on the people praying in the upper room, and they began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. And that's uh, chapter verse 4 of chapter 2, okay? So clearly, we see that the dogma comes from this historic recorded example of what took place. So it was decided is, is that if this is the way it happened, then this is the way we're going to teach it. And it becomes the basis for fundamental doctrine that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. You know, but here's the thing. We've also been taught that the word gospel translates as the good news. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to summarize the gospel the way it was learned to me, right? So God created humanity. Humanity messed up and sin separated us from God. But before the foundation of the world, God devised a plan. He would send his son to reconcile us back to God. And the good news is that the gospel is that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is God's son and that he died for our sin and God raised him from the dead, if we confess this with our mouth, we will be saved and we will have eternal life. And the good news is that salvation is available because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, what could possibly be gooder than that? Well, let's go to a passage where God the Son was directly involved, as was his custom. He was making the dogmatic religious experts really upset with him, okay? And so now hopefully you, you held your place because we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, hopefully you held your place, and this is where we're at. And we will start reading in verse 1. And again, he, being Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Uh, immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. I mean, the place was packed, right? And he preached the word to them. What did he preach? We won't go over that again. But you know what he preached. You already know what he preached. We've been going over that. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Okay, so the place is packed, right? It's a sellout crowd, no, not even standing room only. You can't even get through. So these, these guys, they had a buddy and they cared about him a lot and he was, and he was, and he was really sick. And they were so determined to get this guy healed, that they took the roof off of the place, right? We're going to blow the roof off. Okay, they literally did. They took the roof off, and they lowered him down. And verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, 
took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Amazing. Remember, this is what we were saying last week. Man, I never heard anything like this before. I never seen anything like this before. This is what they said. This is what they said. So here, let's take the same approach for creating dogma as baptism in the Spirit. What happened? A guy's friends brought him to God the Son. Why? To have his sins forgiven? No. To be healed from an ailment. And what did Jesus do? He forgave the guy's sins. Did the guy ever ask to be forgiven? No. Had Jesus died on the cross yet? No. If we use the example of speaking in tongues as a template for developing fundamental doctrine from this passage, we can deduce from this account that God forgives sins without being asked, and he didn't need to shed a drop of blood to do it. And if we can deduce this, we can also build a fundamental truth behind it. When Jesus did these kinds of things, it made the religious dogmatic experts so mad that they tore their clothes, right? And they put aside their dogmatic differences and they conspired to kill God. Jesus was the original heretic. What made him a heretic? He said things like, I know you heard an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. Look, I know you heard when someone actively opposes God that you should call down fire from heaven. But I'm telling you, you don't even know what spirit you're of. I'm not like that at all. In fact, if you want to be like your father in heaven, he doesn't withhold good things from evil people. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And he makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And when they caught the woman in the act of adultery, right? Uh, let's think about this. Okay, the religious people, they caught the woman in the act, according to the way it said, and they only brought the woman. You know, the guy, the, the, the man was not brought before Jesus, right? This is what, the, the term that we use today as of like last week or last couple weeks ago, right? selective outrage, right? <laughs> Chris Rock talked about it uh, after in his special when, you know, Will Smith came up and slapped him in the whole thing. And that was the name of his special selective outrage. Look, that's not new. This is not new. They were doing it all the way back in the biblical record. And the Jews had selective outrage. They didn't do anything about the guy caught in the act, right? But they, the, but they brought the woman in the act of adultery and they brought him before Jesus. And guess what? Jesus did not condemn. And if this is true, I know what you've heard, but God did not kill David and Bathsheba's baby. That's not God's nature. Even when the religious leaders finally succeeded in their collusion to be true to the law and the prophets, to do what it said, and they conspired to kill God. Jesus embodied the likeness of the Father and said, forgive them without them even asking. This is the truer dogma. 
It is the nature of God to forgive. God is not angry. God may be grieved, but God is not angry. Not with the us, not with the them. John 10.10 is the clearest litmus test ever given, and it's the true starting point. The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, destroy. God's nature is what? To bring life more abundantly. So we can say with confidence that anything, anything that does not line up with the life more abundantly side is not from God. And if it falls under the category of steal, kill, destroy, we know where that comes from. We know where that comes from. The original heretic was so radically different than what the text said and the way it was understood that Jesus himself, the Son of God walking the earth, could not get through to the disciples about an earthly kingdom. They saw with their own eyes and they still couldn't escape their dogmatic upbringing. And these 2,000 plus years later, we've reverted back to the idea that what is written is the thing we should cling to. (gasps) Justin, are you saying throw out the Bible? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Bible contains the record of how humanity derived religious dogma. And although it captures glimpses of the nature of God, right, in Jonah, this, I mean, Jonah was so mad at God because he knew he was, he was merciful and kind and wanted to forgive, right? This is, these are the glimpses of, of the true nature of God. But be, because biblical writers were human, they also included ideas that are contrary to the, to the nature of God. And for a brief three-year moment in history, we had an example. Think about this. Look, it's 2023 now. And I don't know where these last three years went since, since the uh, pandemic, right? Since they started lockdown. It's March right now at, at the time of this recording. March 2023, three years ago. They, these three years, they blend together, and I lose track of these times. And this is the time frame that Jesus was the example of God and the earth for a brief three-year moment. And from the very moment Jesus was ascending, humanity began reverting, and we're still stuck in these us-them ideas that contain every reason to justify acting like the thief, right? To steal, kill, and destroy, Because if you're not with me and God's on my side, then he must be against you. So so God is going to destroy you because you're trying to destroy me. But that's contrary to who God is. Think about Abram. He had no Bible to refer to. And it didn't preclude him from getting some things wrong in the very, very wrong, in the very midst of getting other things right. And while the Old Testament is the record of one clan of humanity, right, the Israelites, grasping to understand and please God, the New Testament is the record of humanity struggling to separate themselves from the us-them dogmatic tradition 
and trying to align with the nature of God after God personally came down in the man, Jesus of Nazareth, to give the divine example. And guess what? Just like the Old Testament, there are beautiful glimpses of humanity grasping the Omega view, the view from God's perspective that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Right? Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I would never go against the dogma. I never saw you go against it. Peter, don't call unclean the thing that I'm telling you is clean. Not can be clean or will be clean, but is clean, is clean. Okay? We see these things right alongside steal, kill, and destroy verses. If you do X, Y, Z, God won't get you. But if you don't, you don't have access to unconditional love. Wait, what? I have to meet the conditions to have unconditional love? Listen. I know what you've heard. I know you've been told the good news. And if you have ears to hear, your life is going to be more rich, more full, less strife, no enemies. This is the epitome of the kingdom of heaven, and you get to access it and showcase it in the here and now. You don't have to wait for the by and by. Listen, I've said a lot. I've put a lot of you in the position of wanting to condemn me. Some of you think God is going to do it. God's going to get me. And some of you have an idea that you're God's instrument to carry out the destruction of what I presented. But let me tell you, if you engage in violence of any sort, it's rooted in steal, kill, destroy, and it's not from God. I know that the inner knowing you have really, really, really wants to agree with what I've presented. Wouldn't that just be great? Yes! But not just the good news, it's the gooder news. What you're hearing is a declaration of how good God truly is. And this message leaps in your spirit. Like John the Baptist leapt in the womb when he heard the voice of, of Mary. And even though it goes against what you've been taught your entire Christian life. Now, before you email me, right, before you leave a comment, first, I encourage you, write down your thoughts. I'm not saying don't email me. I'm not saying don't comment. I want you to write them down. Write down all your yabbits. Write down all your whatabouts. But listen to these first three sessions a couple of times. Look, I know I keep telling you to go back and listen again and again, right? There's a reason. We've been taught, train up a child in the way he should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. And so your training is putting up roadblocks from hearing what I'm saying to you. So you have to hear it again and again to truly understand what's being said. The news is gooder than good. It's great, right? Tony the Tiger, so look at your questions and your comments and see how they change after the second and the third listen, right? I promise you, I had all the same whatabouts. I had all the same objections, all the same questions. You're not going to send me something that's new. 
Okay. And I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm saying, I think I'm finally starting to see the humanity in the written word that contains the example of the true nature of God. And the more I look, the gooder it gets. Look, some of you are shocked that I, I could fall prey, right, to this heretic idea. How could this happen? And I'll tell you, it's not because I didn't believe or, have, or, or didn't have faith. In fact, it's quite the opposite. My faith and my reliance of my dogma was so cemented that my reality caused me tremendous anguish. Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you have a question or a comment and you want to reach out, I'm putting the email how you can reach me in the description. Remember, purpose in your heart to see the original goodness in others the way God sees the original goodness in you. Love you guys. Thanks. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabud at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.